Calvary Summit Church and all those watching online. Hey, let's give it up for those watching from the county jail this morning. We love you. Appreciate you so much. Thank you for being here. As well as our military. Come on, we got some military folks in here. Let's give it up for those in the military. Appreciate you all so much. Thank you for service, what you're doing and what you've done. And uh, appreciate all of you being here today. Today is Friend Day. We're excited you're here. And uh, we want you to know you have a friend. And so uh, you're, you're, uh, you're here because I believe God wanted uh, an appointment to take place in your life. And so we're so thankful that you're here to share today with us. And we're going we're gonna to have a picnic in your honor after we're done. We're going to go to Graham Creek. And there's no rain over there in Graham Creek Park uh, down this county road 12 here. Come on. It's dry. It's the promised land. So we're going to go there and enjoy a great picnic. We got three different big, huge bounce houses of the kids. I was over there last night setting up a volleyball net and a whole court for everybody. And we're going to have cornhole. We're going to have watermelon. We're going to have a food truck. We're going to, it's going to be a blast. We encourage you to come. And um, if you decide to go home and change because you forgot about it and decide to come back and where you're at is raining, don't let that stop you because we had that happen a few years ago. People went down home to change and it was raining where they were at, but it was a beautiful day where we were at. And they missed out on a wonderful time. So come on, it's not going to rain. And if it does rain, you need a shower. Come on, come on. So... Awesome. Hey, listen, um, we just want to tell you really quickly, today is kind of monumental in some ways. One of the things is is um, this is going to be our last time that we're going to have one service, or just one service on Sunday morning. We're going to two services starting next Sunday. Two services, 815, 1030. 815 and 1030, we hope you are one of those two times. And um, we will have a sk- uh, nursery and toddlers for the 815. And then for the 1030, we'll have toddlers, nursery, kids' church, fifth and sixth grade, everything. Uh, so um, that is what's going to be taking place starting next week. Hope you're um, able to find one of those times that's better for you and fits well for you and uh, just making room for more parking and more seats. And we want to appreciate uh, your understanding and being a part of that and take advantage of those options. Also, great things are happening around here this past Friday night. We had graduates from the Big Fish uh, program, recovery program. I want to show you a picture yeah. Man, we'd love to see what God's doing in their lives, and they've been uh, pounding away and just walking with the Lord and watching God do some amazing things in their lives. And it was just a wonderful night uh, last Friday night, and just thankful for uh, for that. And um, also thankful that. Um, we can say Roll Tide this morning and War, War Eagle. War Eagle, War Eagle, okay? Yeah, and whatever other team that you, uh, you root for. So that was a close game. People in Alabama learned how to pray last night. I remember that. They were like, whoo, this is what prayer is like. Yeah, I know you. You were praying. Uh, well, I don't know you heard about the... Uh, the police officer, he was uh, sitting there on the side of the road, and he started, saw this car was weaving all over the road and puts his sirens on and pulls the car over. And he walked up the side of the road, and it was a priest on the side of the car. It was a priest. And the uh, officer said, Sir, uh, Father, do you, do you know uh, why I pulled you over? He goes, uh, no, sir. 
He goes, you're weaving all over the road. He goes, well, I didn't think I was. He goes, I think you have been uh, doing something probably you shouldn't do. He said, what do you mean? He says, uh, have, you been, uh, have you been drinking? He said, just water. He goes, huh. He looked over there across him, and there on the passenger seat was a brown paper bag and a bottle in it. He goes, uh, what's in that bottle? He goes, water. He goes, can I see it? So the father handed him the, the bottle of water, and the police officer smelled it. Oh, my goodness, this is wine. And the priest said, look at that. God did it again. How about that? I just <laughs> turned that water right into wine. I, it was water before. Uh. Friend day, friend day. We need to have friends. Uh, so I was looking up some quotes of descriptions of what some people describe as a real friend. Uh, a real friend is a person that tells you when you got spinach stuck between your teeth. Come on. Have you ever done that? I mean, you've been talking to someone, you go, you go in the car and you just kind of put the visor down, you look in that little mirror and you see a big old piece of lettuce or spinach stuck there and you, you've been talking the whole time and they never said a word? That's not a friend. A friend tells you when your zipper's down, when the barn door's open. A real friend tells you when something is in your nose. Those are friends. Don't get mad at those people that point those things out at you. They love you. One person said, a true friend is someone that sticks with you even after they've gotten to know you. One person said, if a fella can't say nice things about his friends, and he just needs new friends. <laughs> Another person said, there's no better friends in life than the twin brothers called pull and push. Pull and push. We all need friends. And this morning, we want you to know that you uh, have friends. You have friends here, here at Summit. Uh, if you don't have any friends, this is your day. And uh, meet me out on the volleyball court at Friend Day, and I'll show you how much I love you. <laughs> If you're on my team. Uh, hey, listen, um, I, want, I want to just uh, say something. I, I, there's a word that really wasn't an important word maybe 20 years ago. And you have found it probably to be true as well. And it's the word reviews. I mean, that wasn't a big word when I was growing up, reviews. We don't, never really thought about reviews. The only time we talked about it was maybe if someone was referring to a movie that had just come out and they were looking at some reviews or that review, uh, movie review critics. And, and so, but today, the word reviews is very important. And people uh, found out, are, are put a lot of stock in the word reviews. I, we were taking the pastors like a field trip um, a few uh, months or so ago up to the Midwest and checking out some things going on in this great community up there that we want to replicate perhaps down here. And so on the way up there, we were getting hungry. And so I turned around and said, hey, anybody ready to eat? And oh, yeah. And uh, I said, well, where do you want to eat? And uh, it was all quiet. And <laughs> I looked back and they were all on their phone looking at reviews of restaurants in the town coming up in front of us. And uh, finally, everyone settled on one particular restaurant because they had the most reviews. And from that point on, we never ate anywhere unless there was a place that had lots of reviews. 
I'm like, this is interesting. This is a whole new way of eating. I mean, if it was a, a while back, and my wife and our family were went out out of town. And Melissa, she was kind of making plans, and she was we were going to uh, we we're going to rent a little VRBO type place, and and she spent hours upon the iPad just looking at all of the different places that we could probably possibly stay, and she was reading the reviews. And she settled in this particular place. I said, why are we staying here? And she said, because it had the best reviews. And then we stayed and we had a wonderful time. And, and, and she said, now we need to clean up. And she gave us all these lists of chores that we had to do. And we're cleaning up and I'm like breaking out in sweat and, and, and we're, we're doing things that I don't even do in my own house. And I'm like, what are we, what's going on? She goes, because we gotta, we gotta have good reviews. I said, what do you mean? We got to have, we, what are you talking about? She goes, they review us too, you know. And if we get bad reviews, then the next place we want to go stay at, they won't let us come because we got a bad review. I'm like, you know, this word's starting to cramp my style. I don't know if I like this word. But I think it's important. It's important that businesses do reviews. You're familiar with employees having reviews. And businesses and employees need to have evaluations. They need to have a time where they have some assessments. And it's important to ask questions to yourself and to one another, like, you know, what are our goals and what's our company's values? Are we staying true to those values? And what are we increasing in customer satisfaction? And are we increasing in the quality of our products? Are we asking questions? You got to review. You got to go back and look at things from time to time, look at your track record, and you got to measure it, and you got to make some adjustments. The story is told of Henry Ford, the great automaker and inventor of the automobile and some the mass production of automobiles, and, and he was taking a tour through his factory one day, and he had come across uh, this glue gun that was gluing uh, a particular part uh, of the, uh, the assembly line. And he said to the person uh, that was with him, he said, uh, how many spots of glue do you put on this part? And he said, we put 10, sir. He said, why? He said, why, why what, sir? Why do you put 10 spots of glue on this piece of part? He said, I don't know why we put 10 spots of glue. He goes, well, don't you think we should figure that out? So I want you to do a study and do some research on why we should have 10 spots. Maybe we should have 20. Maybe we should have five. So they did research and found out that they really could do the same job and have the same effect with only glue, six glue spots instead of 10. They saved themselves some money. It's interesting that we live our lives many times without ever looking back at it and, and thinking that somehow we can be successful in our life, and yet we never review. We never take a time to ask ourselves hard questions, many times because we don't want to see what the answer might be. Seldom do we stop long enough to ask ourselves hard questions even about our life. Oh, we will occasionally, we'll, we'll go to a funeral and we'll take perhaps a few moments also as we are remembering this person that we love and perhaps we'll take a few moments and we'll reflect upon our own personal life. Perhaps we'll reflect a few moments in our life after a divorce, someone left us, we're going through a hard, difficult time, 
Perhaps we'll take a few moments and think about and examine our life uh, uh, during situations that are difficult, maybe after losing a job, or maybe even on New Year's Day, we'll take a few moments. But I think it's very important for our sustainability to be people that look at and review and make an x-ray of our life. If you go to a doctor, the first thing he's going to say is, we need to sit down and make an examination. And they'll begin to examine you, begin to ask you questions. They'll begin to poke you around and ask you how that felt and this felt. And then they'll stick you probably in a machine, call an x-ray. And they'll, they'll do some more reviews and examinations as, as well. So this morning, I want you to take a moment, and I would just want to just ask you, have you examined your life lately? And, and I want to just take a moment and ask you to look at your soul and take a hard look at your soul and to ask yourself the hard questions. No, not the easy questions. It's not like, hey, where are we going to eat at tonight? Or you know, what kind of coffee do you like? Or where are we going to go shopping at? tomorrow. I, those are easy questions. I'm talking about the hard questions. In fact, I wrote down a list of hard questions that I think are important to, to ask ourselves. And you, can, you can write down one or two if you want. I wrote down a whole lot of them. But here's, a, here's some hard questions. Are you ready for some hard questions? Turn to your neighbor and tell them, get ready for some hard questions. Come on. My name is JP and I'm your friend. How about this one? What am I doing on this earth? Where am I going with my life? Why do I do what I do? Is there a God? And if so, what does he want from me? What's my next step in life? Am I doing what I was born to do? What are my values? What are my standards? How about this one? What is truth? And do I even care? And if I don't care, why do, not, do I not care what truth is? Do I live my life in deception? Do the things I live for have any eternal value? And perhaps I should ask myself, what happens to my life once I die? And what is the purpose of life? Wise people are not afraid to ask hard questions. In fact, James says it like this in chapter one, verse five. If any of you lacks wisdom, and I think we would all qualify, you should ask God, who gives generously to all. Everybody say all. That means you. He will give generously, not just a small little portion. If you lack wisdom and you ask him, he will give everyone, including you, without finding fault. He will not look at you and examine you and say, no, you don't deserve to have an answer. Without finding fault, he will give to you an answer and it will be given to you. It's interesting how we fight off the things that we know in our heart and our soul to be true. Galileo is an interesting individual in our history. Before Galileo was a, a guy named Aristotle. Aristotle was considered by the people of the hour and that day to be the smartest, greatest philosopher ever to live in the world. And for hundreds of years, everyone held on to the teachings and the 
wisdom that Aristotle had written down and taught. One of the things that he had taught Aristotle was that the heavier an object is, the faster it falls. One day Galileo, he was an inventor, a scientist, writer, and he, he called the wisest professors that he could find of the city, and he said, I want you to meet me at the base of the Tower of Pisa, which we now call the Leaning Tower of Pisa. And they all met there at his request, and he climbed up into the top of the tower, and he carried with him a one-pound object and a 10-pound object. And then when he got up to the top, he yelled down, everyone stand by, get out of the way. And at the same time, he dropped both objects. And both objects landed at the same time on the ground. And he made his way down and he says, I will tell you that what Aristotle said was wrong. You just saw with your own eyes that the bigger an element is doesn't mean it falls faster. It all falls at the same time. And the wisest men of the hour, even though they saw with their eyes the very proof of what he had demonstrated, said, we don't believe it. And continued to live their life according to the words of Aristotle because he knew what he was talking about. And as if that wasn't enough, Galileo, because he had become familiar with the telescope, began to challenge Copernicus's statement that the earth is center of the universe. And so he began to challenge him and said, this is not true. The earth is not the center, but in fact, the sun is the center. Take a look at my telescope and go through the telescope and I'll show you and I'll give you the reasons and the facts why the earth is now uh, not the center, but the sun is. And even though they had the facts and they had the, the, all the figures and they could see with their own eyes uh, that what he was saying was true, they denied it. In fact, they were so angry at him that they put him in prison where he stayed for the rest of his life because he challenged a thought that wasn't true. Do you know the truth? And what have you done with the truth? Or what do you do with the truth? Or is it even important? Mm. Because here's the deal, life only begins once you have truth. Until you have truth, know truth, and live out truth, your life is a charade. I know you didn't come living, looking for this this morning. I know it's early, but I trust you've had your cup of coffee, and I believe you're going to be okay. When you have truth, guess what you have? You have purpose. And then fulfillment comes from doing what you were born to do. That's why you don't feel sometimes like you have fulfillment or joy or happiness in your life is because perhaps you're not living the purpose in which God designed and destined you to live. I don't know about you, Paul said in 1 Corinthians, but I'm running hard for the finish line. This is a person that knew his purpose. He saw the finish line. He had a goal in mind. He says, I'm giving it everything I've got. No lazy living for me. 
I'm staying alert on top in top condition. I'm not going to get caught napping, telling everyone else about it and then missing it myself. He was a man on a mission, a man with purpose, a man who walked with truth. You can tell people that have truth. You can tell people that have applied truth to their life because they live with purpose. They live with meaning and they don't waste their life. Until you find your purpose, I would say life really has little meaning. Purpose is more than a goal. It's more than a picture of an automobile on your refrigerator you want to have one day. Bigger than a picture of a house that you have sitting beside your bed in the nightstand that you want to move into one day. It's knowing that God has a plan for you. That's purpose. It's knowing that there is a God and this God has a plan simply just for you. And it's an awareness that there is an infinite God and this God is waiting for you to yield to his plan for your life. And what's so sad is that we rub our shoulders so many hours of the week with people. We run by them in the shopping center, whatever we're at, and there are people that are living like blind. They're walking around in a, in a fog, in a haze. It's like they're trying to feel around for purpose, and, and, and there's not purpose anywhere because they're not in line with the purpose that God has for them. I remember pastoring in the Midwest, and our children were small, and my girls especially would come up after church and they would show me these pictures uh, that they had drawn during their little class during church service. And they would say, Daddy, look, look what I, look what I drew. I go, oh, that's beautiful. And then they would say this, what is it, Dad? <laughs> well, give me a hint. Dad, please, come on, you can, that's the sun. Oh, yeah, yes, that's beautiful, son. And this looks like our dog. No, that's a giraffe, Dad, that's a, I mean, you don't say, only my kids knew the plan, they knew the picture, and only God knows your picture. Only God. The reason Jesus came, you can write this down in your notes, the reason Jesus came was number one, to reveal your purpose. And the number two, to empower us to fulfill that purpose. Jesus would say it this way, the thief, the enemy, the devil, Satan only comes to steal, to kill and destroy, but I have come. That you may have life and life to the full, or one version says life more abundantly. You're not living until Jesus is the center of your life. You're not living, you're existing. It's like living without Jesus as the center of your life is like sitting in a fast race car with no steering wheel. My, 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 my the little community we lived in where I was born in the Midwest, I had a little kitty land in the park nearby, and that kitty land had been there since I was a little kid. And it was this one little, little amusement little thing that they had was um, 
a concrete round slab with uh, bars coming out from a, uh, a middle thing, what a spoke, and with little, little cars attached to each bar. And it was just like about 10 little, little tiny cars. And the, the cars are way out of, out of uh, uh, the models were like, you know, way back in the, because it had been there so long. But my, 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 my boy loved getting in that little car. And they would hit the switch and that little car and all those other cars would just go around in circles. Just go around in circles. Just go around in circles. And my son, he'd be like, you know, working that steering wheel, smiling, waving at everybody. He had no clue. He wasn't going nowhere. (laughs) He had no idea. He was just going in circles. He was the one that he loved when we would go to the grocery store and beg me, Dad, please, I want to I wanna ride that horse in front of the front door. I'm like, son, no, you don't. <laughs> it, it, it just takes a quarter, Dad. There's a quarter back there. It just takes a quarter. Come on, Dad. I'm like, oh, my goodness. It don't go nowhere. Man. But he would climb up on I'd stick my quarter in. I'd sit there and go, I just lost a quarter. Just wasting my time. Wasting my money. Good old money. He'd just be on there like. <laughs> not going nowhere. There's a word for sin. If you look it up in the Greek language which the New Testament was written in, it's the word hamatia. It means to miss the mark. It's, a, it's an archery term that they use when, when they would say, shoot the bow and arrow towards the bullseye, and they would shoot, and the arrow would go to the left or the right or above, above and it would go, hamatia. You miss the mark, and, and that's what sin does. It causes us to miss the mark that God has for our life. I, I wouldn't be worried or concerned about sin if I didn't know that there was a purpose in my life, for my life or yours. What difference does it make if there's sin or no sin, if there's no mark? But because there's a mark, because there's a plan, because there's a bullseye for every one of us to hit in our lives, there's purposes and things that we're built and born to accomplish and do and people to affect and communities to affect. Because of that, then when sin enters into our world, our whole life misses the mark. You may be familiar with this uh, painting by Leonardo da Vinci in the 1400s, the latter part of 1400s. The Last Supper, one of the greatest paintings that he had ever he would ever paint. He was commissioned by this uh, cathedral to paint this as they were kind of building this particular cathedral, and and it's the it's the, it's the moment where Jesus. It's a picture of the moment where Jesus was with his disciples in the Last Supper, last the evening of his life, and he would he told them. One of you here sitting here at this table is going to betray me. And this is the picture of the moment he just said that and everyone's response. And you can see the expressions on everyone's face like, what? What? Betray you? No one's going to betray you. What are you talking about? What? The story goes about this. Just keep this up for a minute. The story goes about this particular painting. It took almost seven years to paint. And it took 
Six months for him to paint Jesus. He started with Jesus. It took him six months to paint Jesus. Before he painted anybody, he, 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 he wanted to make sure he used live models, real live models. So he spent time looking for someone that looked to him like a person that was innocent, a person that had lived good, someone pure, someone that you could trust. And he found a live model, and he used that model for six months to betray Jesus. And then he continued through the course of the next several years, painting the different other 11 disciples, and he waited till the 12th disciple to be the very last one, which would be Judas. Judas would be the third person to his right, or to your left. It would be this man right here with the money bag in his hand. This is John, this is Peter. And he waited the last to paint Judas. And he, and he said to his guys working with him, and he said, listen, I gotta find a guy that you know, appears to live rough and have some scars in his life and someone that looks like he would betray somebody. I need, I, I, I need, I need a, I need a sinner. <laughs> and so he, they, they looked all over the city of Milan and they couldn't find anybody and coming up empty. And finally, one of his associates said, there's a, I was up in Rome and I was visiting the prison and there's a guy on, there's a guy on, on <clears throat> death row who had killed somebody and he's going to die for his his, uh, his crime, and, but it's, when I saw this man, it, I thought of Judas. Maybe this would be worth a visit. Or, and so Michelangelo packed his bags and he went to Rome and he saw this man and he goes, oh yeah, this is it. He asked for permission for them to send a couple of guards and bring him back to Milan and he would use him to paint as a model, and they said, sure, and they worked it out the details, and every day the guards would bring this man into his presence, and he would paint Judas Iscariot. After about six months of finishing the painting of Judas Iscariot, Leonardo, did I say Michelangelo? Leonardo uh, said, uh, we're done. I'm finished now. You can take him away. And they began to haul him away, and the man broke through, free from him, came running to Leonardo and said, Leonardo, don't you remember who I am? Because I've never seen you before in my life. What are you talking about? Leonardo, seriously, have I fallen that low? Oh God, have I fallen that low? Leonardo said, I've never met you until I met you in Rome, that jail. Story goes, he says, this man says to Leonardo, sir, I am the first man you ever painted on that painting. I was Jesus. But in seven years, what was once a picture of Jesus became the picture of the most famous betrayer of all time. You see, that's what happens when you don't have purpose or when you lose purpose. 
So I have three things I want to share quickly, and we're going to close. You have to figure out at some point in your life what you're going to do with Jesus. Because either Jesus was the Son of God or he was not. One person asked, uh, David Jeremiah shared this story, one person was asked this question, how do you start a world religion? He goes, very easy. If you want to be a successful world religion, you just announce to the world that you're going to die and how you're going to die and that after you die, you're going to raise up from the grave in three days and then you're going to walk around the earth for a while to prove that you're risen. And oh, by the way, while you're living, you're going to do tons of miracles. If you want to start a world religion, a successful one, that's how you do it. How many takers are there? No. Who can do that? That's, the, that's a good point. So what do you do with Jesus? What do you do with this man, this real live, not just historical figure, but a proven, even Muslims believe Jesus existed. Everybody knows that Jesus lived and existed. But what do you do with this man? Because what you do with Jesus determines the rest of your life. Josh McDowell wrote a small little book, you should read it sometime, called More Than a Carpenter. And he said, you have to reduce it down to three things. Either Jesus was a liar, or a lunatic, or he was Lord. If he was a liar, then you have to ask yourself, why would anyone want to follow a liar? And wouldn't over time a liar be exposed? And who would tell a lie and believe it to such extent that they would even keep that lie all the way to their death? And why would a liar go around teaching people to always tell the truth? And if he was a liar, then that means he was evil. And if he was evil, then why were lives changed everywhere he went for the good? If he was a liar and if he were evil, why were nations and societies changed for the good when they embraced his teachings? If he was a liar, how come thieves became honest and alcoholics became clean and free? And how come hateful people became loving people? If he was truly a liar, none of these things could have happened. So the deduction is he couldn't have been a liar. Well then, the other option, well, he, he was a lunatic. He was a crazy man. I've met a person in my life who claimed to be God. He said he was God. He ended up in a, in a place called a mental facility. <laughs> Crazy people end up in places like that. They end up in psych psychiatric wards and taking medicines to make them normal again. Yet, in Jesus, there was no sign of a crazy person. There was no signs of imbalance. There were no signs of delusions. In fact, crazy people always tend to retreat from reality, but not Jesus. One psychiatrist by the name of J.T. Fisher said this. He said, if you were to take the sum of all the articles 
written by the most qualified psychiatrists in the world and condensed them down to its purest scientific knowledge. And then take these facts and these ideas and then ask the most creative poet to put it in some kind of a word form. He said, the result that you would have in front of you would be an awkward summation of the Sermon on the Mount. Matthew chapter five. Some say the greatest sermon ever preached in the history of mankind. So he was, could not have been a liar. He could not have been a lunatic. And it only leaves one option. Jesus is Lord. Now that creates an incredible problem. Because if he's Lord, then you have to do something with what he said. And he said, no man comes to the Father except through me. In other words, there is no way of knowing what eternity will <clears throat> ever look like without me being a part of it. There is no way for you to live your life on point and with purpose without me being a part of that. If he truly is the Lord and no man comes to the Father but through him, which that means is that I cannot live my life the way I want to live my life sometimes. That somebody else is in charge of my life. I'm not the driver of my machine. He is. And I'm just a follower of him. I'm sitting in the back seat. I'm watching the Lord do what he wants to do. And I'll be obedient to whatever he asks to do. That's what it means to make him Lord. They were asked Jesus, I have the worship team come if you don't mind. Jesus answered them and said this one. This, this, was, this is like, this really, this is hard to hear sometimes if you want to be a person that wants to do whatever you want to do, whenever you want to do, whatever you want to do. He said, I am the way. And I am the truth. And I am the life. And no one, not even you, comes to the Father except through me. But here's what the good news, Romans chapter 10, verse 9. He said this, if you declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be what? Saved. <laughs> For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified. It's with your mouth that you profess your faith and are saved. Hmm. That's all. If you will just do that one thing with your mouth, confess that He is Lord. With your heart, believe it. And with your heart, say, I will follow Him all the days of my life. I will not captain my ship anymore. But I will surrender my life and I will follow after him and I will do whatever he asks. That's called making him Lord. Well, you know what? I, I think I'm good. It's probably because you haven't examined yourself. Number two, you don't have anybody... That's a really good friend to tell you the truth about who you are. Because anybody that would say, I don't need 
the creator of the universe to live my life? My name is JP and I'm your friend. You're a fool. You are a fool. It is a fool that says there is no God. A fool. I don't think there's anybody here this morning that would want to be categorized as a fool. So what, what, what happens if I, if I just don't go that route? I, I go another route. Well, here's what happens. You fall into sin and guilt and condemnation. And you live a life of shame. And you're bound by things that you have no control over. And you spiral down a life like Judas Iscariot in Leonardo's painting. I close with this story. Johnny and Sally were visiting grandma and grandpa at their country home one summer. They loved going to grandpa and grandma's house. There's so much to do out in the country. And shortly after their arrival, Grandpa gave Johnny a slingshot. And Johnny was so excited. And he spent the next several days out in the woods practicing this slingshot expertise. <laughs> and he would try to hit every little target that he made as a target. And try as he would, the, he could never seem to hit the target. He got frustrated. He got angry, he got upset. So one day he comes, coming out of the woods, he's angry, got a slingshot in his hand, got rocks in his pocket. He's just angry. He comes around the backyard of grandpa and grandma's house and he sees grandma's pet duck waddling down across the yard. And he don't know why he did it, he just did it. He pulls his rock out, puts it in the slingshot and just, just let go of that duck. And to his shock, he hit the duck, square in the head, killed the duck. It's like, oh my God, my life is ruined. I couldn't hit the broadside of a barn. I come in the backyard, aim at a duck, and I hit the duck, I killed the duck. What am I gonna do, what am I gonna do? So quickly he goes and gathers the duck, and he runs around the back of the shed, and he hides him under the wood pile. And he goes, they won't know about that dead duck for a long time. Winter's a long ways away. He comes around the woodpile and he sees Sally, his sister, looking at him. She saw the whole thing. He's like, So she said nothing. She went on playing, doing what she wanted to do. And came dinner that night, and Grandma said, Sally, I need you to help me clean up after dinner. And Sally goes, oh, well, I, I've already talked with Johnny. And Johnny said he wants to clean up after dinner. And she whispered in his ear, remember the duck. So he cleaned up after dinner, and Sally played. The next afternoon, Grandpa came in. That afternoon goes, hey, 
let's go fishing, y'all kids. Come on, let's go fishing. And boy, Johnny loved fishing. He jumped up. Yeah, Gramps, I'll get my pole. And, 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 and Grandma says, oh, I'm sorry, Gramps, but um, uh, Sally can't because she's got to help me with dinner tonight. And Sally goes, oh, that's okay, Grandma. I've already talked with Johnny. He's going to help with dinner. Remember the duck. And Johnny goes, yeah, yeah, that's, that's right. I, I, I want to help with dinner tonight. Mm-hmm. This went on for several days. Not only was Johnny doing his chores, he was doing Sally's chores. She did nothing. After about the third or fourth day, he couldn't take it anymore. Finally, he spilled the beans. He goes to his grandma and goes, Grandma, I got to just tell you, I, I killed your duck. She says, I know. I saw the whole thing. I was looking out the window. And I love you and I forgave you the moment you killed my duck. Oh, Grandma, why didn't you say something? She says, I wanted to find out how long you would be a slave to your sister. And the question is, God saw what you did the moment you did what you did. He loves you and forgave you if you would ask for forgiveness on the spot. He forgave you when he gave his son Jesus to die on that cross for you. And now all he's waiting is to find out how long you're going to be a slave to the one who says, remember the duck. Remember what you've done. Remember, you've really hurt other people and you've hurt God and you're not worthy. How long will you remember the duck? Or when will you say, I am going to give my life to Jesus and I'm going to begin to live my life on point. I'm going to live my life with purpose. Somebody, more than one, this morning is ready for a turnaround. You're not here by accident. You're here because God brought you here. And God is beckoning you, pleading with you. What will you do with my son? Because you got to do something. Here's Here's the bottom line. We're all going to answer the question, who is Jesus? If not here, when you die, this question will be, what did you do with my son? Jesus. You'll either answer it now or you'll answer it later, but you will answer that question. No one gets out of here without answering that question. What will you do with Jesus? When I was eight years old, Someone asked me that question. Billy Graham was his name. What will you do with Jesus? Something happened as I sat in that stadium seat. I hadn't even been paying attention that day, that night. But God got a hold of me, and I realized, man, I need, I need to give my heart to Jesus. 
I need to give my life to the Father through Jesus. I need to invite Jesus into my heart. I need to surrender all. This morning, I'm going to ask you a very bold question. What will you do with Jesus? Maybe at one point in your life, you asked him into your heart. Maybe you were at one point where like the Jesus of the Lord's Supper. But life got in the way and stuff happened and you made decisions and, and you found yourself a long ways away. The good news this morning is you can come back. You can come back. Maybe you've never even asked him to be the Lord of your life. You've not even asked the hard question, who was Jesus and what a difference does it make to me? It makes all the difference in the world. It is the only question to be answered. And you would say, Pastor, today, I'm ready to make a decision to follow Christ. I want to surrender my life to the Lord. I want to ask him to come into my life. I believe he was the Son of God, died on the cross just for me and my sins so I could come into a relationship with a loving Father. I want that relationship. With every eye looking and every head up. And you would say, JP, that's me. I want to know Jesus. I want to come back to Jesus. If that's the case, right where you're sitting, I want you to raise your hand because it takes a bold step to be a follower of Jesus. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes. In the back. Yes, sir. Who else? Yes, 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 yes. I'm following Jesus. I'm coming back. I'm going to surrender. I'm going to ask you to do something ever even more bold. Why were you you're sitting? I want that person. You raise your hand. You're ready to commit everything. You're ready to surrender everything. I want you to stand to your feet right where you're at. Stand to your feet. Amen. Amen. clapping because we've made that same decision and we see how valuable it is and we're happy and excited for you couldn't be more excited for you so I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer for me I call it a salvation prayer where you literally surrender your life through a prayer and you make him the Lord of your life. So I want you to say this out loud with me. Those that are standing, say it like you mean it. Say, Lord Jesus, thank you for giving your life and dying on a cross for me so I could know my creator. Forgive me of my sins. Come into my heart and make yourself at home. I choose today to follow you 
with everything I have. You are my Lord. You are my God. And you are my Savior. In Jesus' name. We're going to sing this song. Just stay standing. We're going to sing this song that I sing the night I gave my heart to the Lord. The worship team is going to lead us out. And those that have stood, I'm going to ask you to make one more bold step. Because I feel like sometimes it doesn't mean anything unless it costs us something. You know? Sometimes something just needs to cost you something. And the thing that keeps us back the most is our pride. You're already bold enough to stand. As the worship team sings, I surrender all, I want to ask you, you've prayed that prayer, you stood to your feet, I'm going to ask you to step out of your seats and meet me right down here. Would you do that right now? Just right now, come as the worship team plays and sings, I surrender all. Come on. prayer this week was, God, I want to see 20 people give their hearts to Jesus this Sunday. Amen. 20 people. And guess what? I know we have more than 20. You know how I know that? Because I just counted. You're here not by accident. You're here because God has a plan for your life. One of those on staff here, those that are ministry leaders, dream team leaders, Small group leaders, I want you to come. I want you to stand behind every single one of these people right here. Come on, I want you to come out of your seats and stand behind every one of these right now. Put your hands on someone's shoulder. Stand behind them. Come on. Come on. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. God's hands on your life, sir. 
his hands on your life in a powerful way. Don't you forget this moment. That old life is gone. The Bible says, behold, everything is made new. Do you hear me? Everything is made new. It's a new slate. Nothing, it's a blank canvas. It's a blank canvas. You can write on it whatever you want to write now. It's the power of the blood of Jesus. When it dripped down the cross, it came from a perfect man who showed us how to live a perfect life. And when his blood hit the ground, what happened is, at that point, a miracle took place because now every person that believed when he took his last breath and said, it is finished, what, that hap- what took place was now a miracle in your heart when you said, Jesus, come into my life. He says, it is finished. It's over. It's done. It is finished. It is finished, brother. It's finished. It's over with. It's a brand new day for you. It's a brand new day. And the very purpose why you're on this earth can now be lived out because greater is he that's within you than he that's in the world. No weapon formed against you, the Bible says, will ever prosper. What the enemy meant for evil, God turns around for good. This is an incredible day. 9-11 was a tragedy in our history of our world. But today, it's a landmark in your life. It's a landmark. Don't you ever forget this day. Don't you ever forget this day. The reason there's people touching your shoulder behind you is because when we dismiss, you're going to turn around and you're going to give those people a big hug. And you can realize what it's like to be in a family that loves you and cares for you. Amen. They didn't care for you. They didn't care for you out there. They didn't care for you. And when you needed them the most, they were nowhere to be found. But there is one that's sticking closer than the brother. And when you're at your lowest point, and when you, don't think, when you think you are the loneliest person in the world and no one would ever have anything to do with you, listen to me, when you think that, you remember this, there is one that sticks closer than the brother. He knows where you're at, he's with you at this very moment, and he will never leave you, he will never forsake you. And so I get to say, I love you brothers and sisters. You're my new brothers and my new sisters. We're brothers and sisters. You got a family. Some of you think you never would have a family. You have a family. You got people that will go through hell with you if you have to. You got a family. It's the beauty of the body of Christ, the beauty of the church. 
It's more than just a Sunday morning get-together. It's more than picnics. It's coming together and binding our faith and being strong together and walking this thing out and lifting each other up and pushing sometimes and pulling other times. It's, it's living a life together and saying, man, I believe that Christ in you and I believe you have a purpose and you're not here by just some circumstance. God brought you to my life and we're going to do life together. We're going to love together and we're going to see our community change together. That's what it means. That's what it means. So, welcome to the family. So you're like, well, Pastor, what do I do now? I'm glad you asked me that question. There's a couple things you're going to have to do. First of all, you're going to have to take a journey class back there in the back. There's a little window room. You saw it when you walked in the lobby. We have a class, not today, because of the picnic, but every first three Sunday mornings, it's a class just for you. If you need a ride home, figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll get you a ride home. It's after our Sunday morning service, second one. We're going to talk, talk to you about God's plan for your life. We're going to look at your gift sets, and we're going to get you in a place where you can begin to do what you've never perhaps done before, and that's serve. Serve others, because your greatest joy comes to serving. Not by getting. You've been a getter way too long, but by serving. Secondly, you're going to get a Bible, a brand new Bible that we're going to give you on the way out the door. You're going to turn in a little connect card. It's going to say, here's my name. and I gave my heart to Jesus. We're going to follow up on you. We're going to love on you. We'll give you a Bible, some materials to read about what you just did. And then thirdly, you're going to get involved in a small group because you grow together in community. If you do those three things, the journey class, grab some of that stuff that we have for you, and get involved in a small group, you will not be able to recognize yourself this time next year. You won't recognize yourself. You won't even know who you are. People are going to look at you, brother, and go, who are you? You're, no one, you're not the person you used to be. Give God one year. I promise you, just give God one one year. Just do those three things. Just one year. And I promise you, everything will change. Everything. One year. Just one year. Just don't bail out. After six months from now, three months from now, two hours from now, don't bail out. Give God one year. And your life will forever be changed. Amen? Well, I don't know about you, but I'm ready for a picnic. I'm ready to throw down some watermelon some cornholes, some volleyball. Before you dismiss, remember we got communion over here. We also have maps out there for the picnic. Turn around, everybody in the front, love on somebody, give them a hug. As you're dismissed, turn around, somebody tell them, come on, the best is yet to come. Will you tell them that for me? Come on, the best is yet to come. God bless you.